We are living in crazy, crazy days. Days of contention, days of violence, days of, of fighting, days of division. And you might ask yourself, when is all this going to end? Is there going to be an end? God, are you ever going to show up and take control? Well, I'm glad you've tuned in because today we're talking about Revelation chapter 5 in our series in Revelation. Uh, I'm Pastor Greg, and this is Life 66. Revelation 5 is an awesome passage of Scripture. It gives us the, the beginning of the end, the, the, the introduction to the lion and the lamb, the king and the sacrifice, the one who gave his life and the one who will redeem and, and will own the world again, the creator who made it and now the creator who redeems it. And this chapter sets up the entirety of the rest of the Revelation. We've uh, spent now seven or eight um, uh, episodes in the first portion, and now we're really going to pick up speed as we get into the rest of the book. Last time we talked about chapter four, this vision of the throne room with God the Father and the Holy Spirit in the midst of the throne room, uh, surrounded by elders and these creatures. Chapter five, we get introduced to the Son to Jesus Christ, the Lion and the Lamb. Let me read the chapter for you first, and then I want to give you some background that will help us understand it, uh, and then we'll dive into the text. Verse 1, chapter 5. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. He came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased men from God, for God from every tribe and every language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders uh, and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Awesome, awesome passage. Well, let's look deeper into this and find out what's going on. In order to do so, we need to look back into the Old Testament, specifically to the book of Ruth, uh, the book of Leviticus, chapter 25, 
and to Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 32. Because we see the, this issue of the, of the scroll and the one who was able to open the scroll, the seven-sealed piece, and, and it, it's, it's a powerful image here. First, let's look at to, look at to Revelation, uh, or excuse me, to Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth. In the book of Ruth, it's this picture of Naomi, an Israelite, who is married and uh, travels to um, Moab with her two sons because of famine in the land. And while there, the two sons marry two Moabite women. Well, in the meantime, all three men die, Naomi's husband and the two sons, leaving Naomi and two daughters-in-law. Well, times uh, get better in Israel, and Naomi decides to return back to, to Israel. And she gives the two daughters a choice, stay in Moab or Moab while with your own people or come with me. One daughter chooses to stay, and she vanishes from the narrative. The other daughter, Ruth, makes the powerful statement to Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people, and only death will separate us. Uh, powerful picture of love and commitment. So she goes back with Naomi uh, to Israel. Well, problem is, is that they don't have anywhere to go. They do have their familial land, though. And the land they return to is their family's land, but being ladies, they have really no right to it. But there is this issue called the, the law of Leverite marriage and the law of redemption. The law of Leverite marriage is an issue of if a near... Uh, if, a, if a man passed away, the nearest kinsman could claim the the widow or the woman as his own. Uh, of course, he had to be willing to do that and to be able to do that. Also, uh, there's this law of redemption. And what that means is that in, in Israel, when land changed hands, it really wasn't sold. It was more like it was leased, that every 49 years in the year of Jubilee, uh, or the, rather the 50th year, uh, land would return to its rightful owners and it could be redeemed by the nearest of kin because uh, in that time, maybe uh, the person had passed away and so on. So it, it kept the land in the tribal families and it kept the ownership pure uh, according to the way God had divvied it out uh, initially. Uh, and so the conditions of the redemption of the land, the condi- conditions of the redemption of a, uh, a, a woman from the law of love right marriage would be written uh, would be written down, and on the outer part of the deed uh, would be the conditions uh, that had to be met in order to open the deed, to claim the deed, to claim the land, to claim the the bride. Um, so you see this scroll that in chapter five is a seven sealed scroll with writing on both sides. That's what this scroll is. This scroll is the title deed of the world. It's the redemption deed that only Jesus Christ has the right to open. And we're going to get to this in a a little bit, so I don't want to get too much into it now. Uh, But he is the one who can open the seals because he meets the requirements to open them, revealing then the right of redemption on the inside. In the story of Ruth, Boaz redeems Ruth as his own. The land is redeemed uh, back into or, or for Naomi, and as it is said, they live happily ever after, and they become the direct descendants of King David, also the direct descendants of Jesus Christ. So there's this kinsman redeemer in the book of Ruth, the descendant or whose descendant is Jesus Christ, who is 
not a piece of land's redeemer, but the redeemer of the entire world. Jeremiah 25 and 32 give us uh, a little more understanding. God tells the prophet Jeremiah uh, that Israel is going to be taken captive for 70 years in Babylon. And he tells Jeremiah to purchase a piece of ground. Now, it's strange. Why purchase a piece of ground when you're just going to lose it to the Babylonians? That's God's promise to Israel saying, you're going to go into captivity, but I'm going to bring you back. There's going to be a redemption. And so Jeremiah buys this piece of land. He gets the title deed, buries it in a jar and places it in the land so that his descendants can come back and redeem that land once God keeps his promise and they come out of captivity. So when they take the deed out, once again, uh, the conditions of the deed are written on the outside, and then, of course, the inside is the, the right, uh, you know, the, the actual title. Um, Jeremiah chapter, or excuse me, Daniel chapter 9 gives us a little bit of understanding that there will be 70 weeks of years of God's judgment before redemption. Beautiful picture mirroring the 70 years of captivity in Babylon. In Daniel 9, it's prophetic talking about 70 weeks of years, or rather 490 years, followed by which there will be a redemption of the land, redemption of the world, really. And so that's what Revelation 5 is talking about. Jesus coming back, taking hold of the title deed. He is the kinsman redeemer, like Boaz was for Naomi and Ruth. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer, though, for the world, for the church, for his bride, and he's going to take her back again. When he does, all sin and death is gone, and he will bring back uh, his perfect eternal kingdom once again. The earth is under bondage right now, under the realm of Satan, under the realm of sin. But Jesus broke that bondage, purchased it legally on the cross, but he's waiting to occupy. Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14 speaks of his waiting to occupy the land. Why is he waiting? Well, John 14 says he's gone to prepare a place for his bride. And 1 Peter 3, 9 says he's waiting and being patient that none should perish. But there will be a day when he is going to come. There will be a redemption day. And that day is described here in Revelation 5 and then how it actually plays out in the rest of the book. So let's go ahead and dive in. That's a long introduction to pick apart these verses in chapter 5, but let's jump in. The scroll is the title deed. The scripture says that there was in the right hand of the one who sat on the throne. This is God the Father on the throne. And in his right hand, he has this scroll. We understand that to be the title deed with writing on both sides. And it's sealed with seven seals. And then he sees this angel and the angel is proclaiming in this loud voice. Revelation's a loud book. There's a lot of loudness going on. Uh, who's the angel? Well, who knows? Uh, maybe Gabriel chapter 10, uh, 18, uh, Gabriel is usually the announcer. We see Gabriel in the announcement of Jesus' birth, but, but we don't know that for sure. But he announces who is worthy to open the scroll. Now notice, not who has the power, who has the strength, uh, who is the right authority, but, who, but who, is the, who is the heir? Who is worthy? Who really does this belong to? And it doesn't belong to demons, it doesn't belong to angels, it doesn't belong to men. It says, no one on earth, under the heaven, under earth or in heaven was found 
that is worthy to open the scroll. Now with this, John weeps. He's heartbroken, says, well, then who can redeem us? Who can solve man's problems? Who can, who can come and free us from this bondage of sin? And in that, the angel says, don't worry. Or one of the elders, rather, says, don't worry, John. There is one worthy. There is one who can redeem. And only one who can redeem. And the hero then enters in verse 5 to verse 7. That Jesus Christ, not spoken of as Jesus Christ, but spoken of as the lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. Says he has triumphed. And he is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Genesis 49 9 to 12 speaks prophetically about this lion of Judah when Jacob blessed his sons and he blessed Judah, um, that he would be the, 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 uh, that one of his heirs would be the one who would sit on the throne. The lion is mentioned nine times in the New Testament, six times in Revelation. He is the majesty, the king, the all-powerful, the sovereign authority. It says he's also the root of David, that there's a, it's a special son of Judah. Isaiah 11, 1 and 2 speaks of one of King David's line will be the one to come and rule. And of course, we know from uh, Scripture, from the, the uh, uh, genealogy of Jesus in Luke 1 through 4 and in Matthew, that it is uh, Jesus Christ who is the heir, who is the descendant of, of Judah, Boaz and Ruth, David, and Jesus Christ. He is the lamb, the one who has been slain. Of course, the picture of the Passover lamb sacrificing his blood so that we could be covered and the death angel would not uh, be able to harm us. That we have the lion who is victorious and the lamb who was slain, which is the reason why he's victorious. The only one who can take the scroll because he bought us. He redeemed us. It's kind of a gruesome picture. This lamb looking as it had been slain in verse 6. I mean, picture a lamb that looks like it's been slaughtered. I mean, they would cut the throat. They would, you know, open him up and, and sacrifice him. It, it's just a gruesome picture. But it says it's a beautiful picture because that blood, that sacrifice is what has bought us back. That gives the ability of Jesus Christ to redeem us and take dominion. The Lamb is the key title of Jesus in the whole book of the Revelation. 28 times he's referred to as the Lamb of God. And notice he's in the midst of the throne, but God the Father was sitting on the throne. It says here that the Lion and the Lamb is standing on the throne, or in the midst of the throne. He's ready for action. He's ready to receive. He's ready to take dominion. He's ready to take charge. It says there are seven horns signifying complete power and authority. He's the ruler. Seven eyes, the seven spirits of God, that the Holy Spirit of God, this this third person of the Trinity is ever present. And he takes the scroll from the Father. And he can do so because he has paid it all in full. He has triumphed. And he can begin to open the seals. And we'll see the opening of those seals in graphic detail in chapter 6 and following. When he takes the scroll in verse 8 to 14, this is the moment that the world has been waiting for, that the angels have been waiting for, that the elders and the creatures have been waiting for. And when he takes the scroll, all just heaven breaks loose 
in triumphant praise, in songs, in, in loud, triumphant worship. It's this massive uh, praise in three different waves. The first praise wave is the elders and the creatures, and they have harps, and they have bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they fall down on their faces before, their, before the throne. And, and they raise the bowls of incense as the prayers go up. And it says that they sing a new song, uh, new in quality, this new song of redemption. And the book of Revelation is filled with new things that we've already seen that those who follow uh, Christ get a new name. Uh, in chapter 3 and, and chapter 21, there's going to be a new Jerusalem. Here, there's a new song. Chapter 21, there'll be new heavens. Chapter 21, a new earth. Chapter 21, again, all things will be made new. This is not new in the sense of time. It's new in the sense of quality. That Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb, who looks as he have been slain, takes the scroll, takes the title deed of ownership, and a new era is about to begin. The new era of eternal life. He is worthy to open the scroll because he was slain. And men from every nation have been purchased with his blood. These men have been made kings and priests to serve God because of his death, and they will reign with him on earth. Notice the angels do not sing of redemption, for they don't understand what redemption is. They're not redeemed. But it's interesting, there's in the, the different um, uh, manuscripts, the words are slightly different, and there's some textual uh, uh, issues here. If I read it this way, in the NIV, it says, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. That would then make the, uh, the elders um, a mystery. But in some of the ancient manuscripts, uh, there is a different reading where it reads this way, and you have purchased us for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve our God, and we will reign on the earth. Now, if that is the true rendition, then the elders are a picture of the church and the redemption of the people of God. Now, of course, we don't have absolute certainty which one, uh, we know the ultimate end is that redemption will happen. Uh, but it's a powerful statement of, or at least it's, a, it's an interesting statement of, of the rendition of the text here. And, and the, it gives us an idea or at least a guess on who these elders really might be. Now they sing this, uh, when they, 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 they sing and they, they sing this new song and they raise these praises praising him for his redemption in praise wave one. In praise wave two, in verse 11 and 12, it says that they, they looked and heard and many angels, thousands and thousands and thousands, it says 10,000 times 10,000, which basically means they can't be numbered. I mean, yeah, you can multiply 10,000 by 10,000 and get a number. But the, the, the point here is that it's a multitude beyond count. And it says they sing this worthy song, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. How many descriptions? Yeah, of course, you guessed it. There are seven. That he is, he is worthy because he has the power. He is able. 
He has the riches. He has all resources. He has the wisdom. He has all practical and personal knowledge. He has strength. There is none greater. Uh, He received honor. Every knee will bow. He receives glory. The ultimate end is his alone. And praise, the inevitable, eternal climax forever and ever to worship Jesus, the Lion and the Lamb. And then the third praise wave in 13 to 14 says, every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, sounds like Philippians 2, 10 and 11, doesn't it? Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And they sing this this next song to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. There's a lot of praise going on. What's all this praise for? Because Jesus Christ has has returned to take his rightful place. You know, today there's a lot of of, um, anger, a lot of mockery, a lot of arrogance, a lot of of, um, people thinking that, that they're the ones in control, that they're the ones in charge, that they have the power, that they have the ability to manipulate and to, to, with their wealth or their fame or their influence to control people and control the affairs of this earth. I want to tell you there's a day and the day is coming. I don't know how soon, but I think it's sooner than we think when Jesus Christ, the lion and the lamb is going to take his rightful place. And we're going to see what that looks like in chapter six and following when Jesus begins to Uh, open the scroll one seal at a time to reveal the contents and reveal how he is going to uh, end all things. And there's two motivations here. One is to make sure we are right. We can't solve man's problem. We can't solve the earth's problems, but we can keep our lives right. And we need to make sure that we are like the five virgins in Matthew 25 who are ready when Jesus Christ returns. But there's also a second motivation, and that's to share with as many people as possible. There is going to be a day when our Lord Jesus is going to return, and he is going to make things right. He is going to lay possession of the earth again. He's the rightful owner. He's the kinsman redeemer. And he's coming back for his bride, his people. And when he does, it's not going to be pretty for those who rejected him, who resisted him. It's our task as believers to bring as many into the fold of the bride as possible so that when Jesus does come, they'll be ready with us. It's a sobering thought. Jesus Christ is worthy to receive all that praise because he's the only one worthy to take the scroll. The King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lamb who was slain, is going to take ownership again. And he's going to make all things right. I hope we're ready when he does. And I hope that we haven't neglected bringing our friends and family and loved ones and anybody we can with us on the way. God bless you. I'm looking forward to chapter six now. It's going to, we're, getting to get, we're going to get into some crazy stuff going from chapter six forward. So don't miss next time. This is Pastor Greg, Life 66. And we'll talk to you soon.